my mouth is almost always very, very close when I do these shows because I tend to like drift off <laughs> a little in, in the way I speak. So I just, I left, have to force it. I try to get it into smooch range where if I wanted to just like pucker out a little bit and then give it a little, just a little. I probably should be that close. Huh? I'm, I'm actually about, I'm actually about three inches away from my microphone. So that's how. Okay. You guys are missing out on all these smooches. <laughs> I'm right there with you. Okay. We're Eskimo brothers now. This is the sex season now. <laughs> all, right. all right. Welcome to my erotic role play. Dude. No. Um, <laughs> no, no. Everyone's just hammering on their phones, trying to turn off the MP3 before their boss comes in. Let me introduce my character, Spontaneous Ecstasy. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um... <laughs> probably should start by explaining what this show is because Ooh. every new season is somebody's first season does anybody have a, a, a nice succinct synopsis of what we're doing here i could i could describe it a little bit mm-hmm. you, you may be under the false impression that you're about to listen to a dungeons and dragons podcast but in fact you're listening to something that's much more <laughs> it's an adventure of hopefully high comedy high drama and low taste welcome to dice funk <laughs> That was, like, actually good instead of, like, ironic. Yeah, I was going to make a joke about, like, all the times you said hi, but I couldn't think of one. Okay. We make dick jokes about dragons. <laughs> actually, I don't, think we ever, I don't think we ever done dragon dick jokes yet. Yeah, yeah, yet is the main word there. Scaly. <laughs> <laughs> now, for real, though, um, this is uh, an actual play role-playing podcast, a tabletop podcast, so you don't need any visual element this is all voice so it's a rules light we do a lot of house rules i've done a lot of things behind the scenes so you don't have to worry about a lot of math the only thing you really need to be responsible for is that when someone says a number it's usually on a scale from 1 to 20 10 being average 20 being a crit which is perfect the best you can do and a 1 being a botch which is the worst you can do everything else is just jokes and drama and characterization and plot and whatever else we get into so um, you don't need to have listened to any previous seasons to enjoy this one they're all self-contained like final fantasy but we might occasionally make a little reference joke here or there for anybody who's returning uh, <laughs> i'm your dungeon master austin yorski the dungeon master is the narrator and they play all the non-major characters the npcs everyone else who is not me <laughs> is one character and the first up is probably the person everyone is here to listen to, Leon. You want to introduce yourself? Hello, uh, I'm Leon Thomas. You may have heard of me. Uh, I will. Oh, should I just say who I'm playing, or do you? Or are we not going to do that yet? 
Uh, let's start with who we are in the real physical meat space, oh, okay. and then we'll talk about our fake elf make-believe names. <laughs> okay, I just wanted to make sure I wasn't jumping the gun there. Okay, uh, I'm Leon uh, in the tangible world. I uh, host a show on the internet called Renegade Cut, and uh, let's see, what else do I do? Oh, gosh, that's it, isn't it? That's all I, that's all I do with my life. <laughs> you've you've listened you've listened to not only an introduction but an epiphany, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I also I also uh, in in season one and season two uh, I was part of Dice Funk as a player, and uh, in season three, uh, ditto. Uh, so we'll see how that works out. Mm-hmm. I pl- I played Dungeons and Dragons when I was young, but it was first edition, and none of the rules make sense to me anymore. <laughs> But but I, uh, <laughs> you may have noticed if you listened to season one and two, but I did uh, recently, I do now have copies of the Dungeon Master's Guide, the Monster Manual, and the Player Handbook, so I know more about the math and stuff now. So we'll see how that works out in season three. The end. This is the first season where nobody on the show is playing D&D for the first time, mm. which means either we'll be way more competent or we'll all be too competent and then not interesting because it's exciting when people fail that's one of my favorite parts about this game we'll turn into rules lawyers and it'll be terrible i mean this isn't my first time playing anymore but i'm just bad at life in general so i'm probably still gonna fail a lot i'm sorry who are you hi (laughs) it's me i'm lauren (laughs) (laughs) sorry who that who that hi i'm lauren uh in the real world that's me Ooh, i've moved up in the world since the last season I was on season two, but this time I work for the state of Florida. Woo. Nice. Uh, and that, that's like all I do. I'll save the, uh, the new guest for last. Uh, so my name is Michael Schicciano or Skitch. Um, most people here know me from various antics in writing music for uh, web creators. Also, I've participated in several podcasted and broadcasted D&D sessions prior to... Uh, even last seasons of of Dice Funk. Now this season, uh, this is going to be yet another attempt to play in fifth edition with some fun antics, and especially with our uh, last player, who uh, I've plenty of experience playing with. If you know what I mean. <laughs> well, I got to make it so suggestive right off the bat. I mean, you're going to make it suggestive regardless, man. Yeah, that's fair enough, I suppose. So, oh, should I actually say who I am? Should I, should I give those details? <laughs> Or we could just sit in silent reflection. <laughs> that actually is pretty nice. I, I could use with some meditation. So if we just all want to stop and maybe like do some like quiet ocean sounds, that'd be pretty helpful. Or I guess I'll just tell you. Anyway, my name's uh, Chris. Ooh, actually, that is a background for this works too. I'm Chris uh, Rolo T. Larios. Uh, people might know me as the host of uh, a weekly manga recap or way back in the day as the host of Transmission Awesome, which was on that guy with the glasses slash channel awesome. And, uh, yeah, I've been a part of a couple different online D&D games before that people may uh, may have been privy to. Mm-hmm. Alrighty, then. So that's all the players. I'm very bad at, like, the self-promotion part of this. Like, I don't know. Same. <laughs> like, I haven't said, like, where you can find any of our stuff or anything. But you can find Leon at patreon.com slash renegadecut and on his YouTube channel and stuff, if that wasn't said. I'm on patreon.com slash austinyorski. Chris is at patreon.com slash... Weekly Weekly manga manga recap. recap, Yeah, so we're all out there, and maybe someday I'll get good at that stuff. But for now, uh, let's pretend to be fantasy characters. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank God. I don't have to talk about myself anymore. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So 
I, I dread every first episode of every season. <laughs> Not just because I'm nervous, because I'm putting myself out there and subjecting my art <laughs> to the masses for criticism, but specifically because one of the people I have chosen to share my career with is someone who delights in making me as miserable as possible. So you guys want to start there? Oh, that that was about me, right? Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> Talking about sketch, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. That was crabsolutely about Leon. Crabsolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Look, in the first season, I had like a normal character. Uh, but in the second season, I just went like bananas. And it uh, Austin was like climbing up the walls about it. Um, he will be happy to know. That although my character is is fairly uh, going to be comedic, he's a little closer to season one Ronaldo uh, than season two Violet. Like mm-hmm. there's like tragedy and things that are related. Um, not in the name though. The name I just went crazy. You want me to go? Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I say this a lot, but let's just rip the bandaid off. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna do like the two short paragraphs I told um to Austin to describe the character, but I'm gonna keep his gigantic timeline uh hidden for now, uh, at least from the audience, uh, so that it can come out naturally instead of just being a gigantic info dump. But my character's name is Viscount Bumpershoot von Victrola, the fanciest vampire, heir to the blood throne of Fang Sylvania. He's the best character. Uh, all right, so, so a little bit of back, a little bit of background. Fangsylvania was actually burned to the ground by a famous vampire hunter named Raven Stern. Uh, Bumbershoot has been on the run ever since, um, as uh, Stern has a legion of fanatical anti-vampire followers. Stern actually burned Fangsylvania to the ground, but not just uh, for the vampires. Like all the innocent people may have died as well. So he's not a nice guy. Um, anyway. Bumbershoot fled, Bumbershoot fled. He lost sight of the vampire who sired him, named Count Danto, a young-looking but ancient vampire. Uh, Bumbershoot is lawful evil, which in, in his case, this means that he believes in making deals and maintaining them. And he believes in order in the sense that he thinks that vampires are the peak of high society and that the finer points of morality do not apply to them. And that is who he is. Oh, oh, I should probably mention that uh, we um, sort of did like house rule homebrew kind of vampire weaknesses and strengths. I don't know if you want me to go over them now or let them come out naturally. Um, but anyone who says, wait a minute, that's not how vampires work and bleh, um, we are doing it our way for fun. <laughs> yeah, as long as once something is established, we don't contradict it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything is up for grabs. Um, so the main parts of a D&D character are the race, class, background and alignment Mm -hmm. so your race is actually human correct no no we we listed race as vampire uh but we went with some of his human stats to start off with because vampires can be vampires of any race before this is more like an affliction but i we list the race as vampire or at least the in the character sheet i sent you um his class at level is level six rogue uh background is noble alignment lawful evil and all the other stats. I don't know. Do you do they do they need to know my strength and dexterity right now, or is that not important? So traditionally, we roll stats on episode one, but since we're starting at level six, because all of you uh, are starting out kind of badass for reasons we'll get into shortly, mm-hmm. uh, we rolled before because there's some decisions you need to make when leveling up a character. Yeah. So if you just want to run down your strengths and weaknesses real quick, that's fine. Uh, all the character sheets that you hear on the show will be available on patreon.com slash Austin So you can find them there. 
right. Uh, strength 10, dexterity 16, constitution 10, intelligence 11, wisdom 9, charisma 15. That is the big one for uh, him because a lot of his stuff is charisma based. So he's, he's kind of a smooth talker. And mm-hmm. what, what we did specifically for vampires was I said you need a weakness for every strength. And so I think we came down with four of each. Yeah, according to this, I have in sunlight, uh, he will take radiant damage of 20 per turn. So that's a lot. He is unwelcome, which means he cannot enter any privately owned home without permission. Uh, holy water will inflict acid damage. And he has what we call bloodlust, which means he will die if he does not feed a reasonable amount of blood from someone once per week. So that should be interesting. In terms of um, power, uh, strengths, and vampire stuff, he has vampire shape, which means he can transform into either a bat, wolf, or mist for up to an hour, and but can only do it once per long rest. Otherwise, he would just be, like, missed all the time, so that would be stupid. Um, he has Vampire Bite, which might not even come into play, but he can turn an enemy who is at zero HP into a vampire. We haven't gone over all this, the, how that would work, but basically, sired vampires are inherently loyal to their master, but not, like, slaves, more, like, compelled. Vampire Control, which Vampire Control just means uh, he will have advantage on persuasion, and it could also work on simple animals like dogs and cats. And he has dark vision, which is, you know, not that big of a deal because a lot of races do. But he can see in the dark. Not so, you know, regular humans cannot, obviously. So that's it. Uh, that is everything anyone needs to know about my character. So one, one more time, Leon Thomas is playing. His 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 uh, full title will be Viscount Bumbershoot Von Victrola. Bumbershoot Von Victrola is his name. You can just call him Bumbershoot. Otherwise, that would be very uh, cumbersome. You'll be able to tell how much an NPC respects Bumbershoot by how much of that title they feel compelled to include. <laughs> well, he is he does have noble background, which means people should respect him, but, you know, depending on their views of nobility. Yeah, that's that yeah, that is that is fair. That is absolutely fair. All right. So who's next? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I I could go next if you want. Please. <laughs> Uh, I am playing a character by the name of Roland Hawklight. He is a half-elf, lawful good, just this year. Basically, what that is, is a modified paladin, which takes the all the class traits that refer to charisma, and all the class features that refer to charisma, and instead uses intelligence instead, as Roland is more of a judge-like and intellectual character. It also prevents everyone potentially from having too much charisma stuff going on, but that's beside the point. Um, his background is um, Knight of the Order because he used to be a member of a uh, paladin order called the Order of the Merciful Sword. And basically he was an orphaned half-elf who was raised in a church named the Nissan Chapel and sort of raised and taught under one of the various lawful good deities. He was fairly bookish and sort of read up about other similarly aligned lawful good deities and became fairly devout towards what's known as the Triad in the Forgotten Realms of Tyr, Torm, and Ilmater. He became a member of the Order of the Merciful Sword, traveled with them, and did various missions until one day where he was, his crew was forced to attack a helpless orc village. He viewed that as an affront to his beliefs refused to do any refused to attack anyone and was subsequently flogged and dismissed from his order since then he's been operating on his own and 
finds himself in our current setting for the campaign in order to uh, find redemption for himself and to also exemplify the ideals of the deities that he follows. Other notable strengths and weaknesses, his stats are 16 strength, 10 dex, 14 constitution, 18 intelligence, 8 wisdom, and 7 charisma. So charisma is actually his weakest stat as a half-elf. And other than that, he's just a level 6 paladin just this year. And uh, I think that's all I need to go over for the time being. So your guy is very smart. Yes. Uh, but but a little abrasive. Right. For for the mental image here, I, I picture um, Roland as heavy armor. Mm-hmm. The picture I have in Roll20, the app we use to roll, I have him is Reinhardt from Overwatch. <laughs> uh, so that's kind of, but he's like, I mean, elves are kind of like notoriously like skinny, but like this is, I'm picturing this is the big kind of guy. Well, he's a half elf. So he's both human, has both human and elven, elven traits. And like half elves in different editions are treated as that line between human and elf. So he's not as heavily stocky as a uh, really strong human might be. He's not also, he's not really frail either. He's also 43 as of the beginning of this campaign. So he is, he will appear somewhat middle-aged relative to uh, other characters, though he still isn't too old as far as a half-elf goes because he live longer than humans. Yeah. So that's something uh, that Leon didn't mem- didn't mention about Bumbershoot. How old does he look and how old is he actually? <laughs> Oh, okay. All right. Um, he was transformed into a vampire when he was 46. He is now 104. So he has spent, I guess, the majority of his existence as a vampire and sort of thinks of himself far more as that than human. All right. So we got two daddies. <laughs> <laughs> two uh, older gentlemen. Most of the uh, D&D characters I've ever seen, whether on podcast or in real life, are like spry young 20-somethings. Mm-hmm. This is off to an interesting start. And a contrasting start, the picture I have here in the Roll24 bumper shoot is Edward Cullen, <laughs> naturally. And Leon was quick to tell me. Not, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> he's super old. <laughs> yeah. he's And he's also, like, quite dapper. I don't know if you put a fine point on that, but we're picturing him with, like, a walking cane. Or... Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I can go into more. He has a monocle. He has a walking cane. His hair is slicked back. He has, like, a mustache. A fancy kind. So notable features about Roland physically. He has some scarring. Yep. From, from when he was flogged and released. And he, do you want to talk about his armor? Well, he has a set of armor that reflects his beliefs closely, but he does not currently possess them for reasons that we will explore in the game itself. His current armor is just splint mail and a shield, and he wields usually a longsword, but sometimes other weapons as well, given his strategic background. All right, so Bumbershoot Von Victrola, the rogue vampire, and Roland Hawklight, the half-elf Justicier. Next up... Ah, oh, I'll go. well no all my stuff is bad and dumb so (laughs) all right so i'm gonna be playing uh theodora or dora for short the nixie who did make a couple appearances in season two somehow she is a warlock background is trickster which is kind of something we made up but she likes to prank and my alignment is chaotic neutral what's a nixie Okay. Oh god, I know. You just I, kinda threw that out there. I know. I feel I'm like Googling I'm, it now. It's like a tiny, like, scaly water pixie, basically. Now when you say pixie, I think Tinkerbell handheld. Is that how big you are? That's true. They're not always that big. It's like I know how much she, how big she is. She's four feet tall and forty pounds. 
<laughs> yeah, you're like roughly halfling or gnome-sized. Yeah, there we go. You're one of the small fantasy races, uh, but you're kind of a, a water thing. You're of fey origin from mm-hmm. a different plane of reality, the fey wild. You're amphibious. Lived in the swamps. Yeah, very swampy. The Nixie of D&D actually hasn't appeared in any of their published material for quite a while. The version we used to build your character, I think, was third or fourth edition. I think it was probably third edition because I don't believe Nixie was actually a fourth edition race. Pixies were, though. Yeah, so it's been a while since these were even officially supported. We kind of went weird with it, but the the mythological origin of this creature is actually kind of fascinating. Almost every, like, European culture has their own version, um, and they all have the different names. Sometimes they're called Nex, Nikors, or Noken, but they're kind of similar to uh, mermaids, but way spookier. Kind of like Kelpies, right? Except for Kelpies, I think, (laughs) shapeshift. Tim Burton's Kelpie. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> but the the powers you get specifically as a nixie are that you can breathe in water and that you get once per short rest uh create water yes so your powers are very aquatic yes the life aquatic very moist so that's what you are species wise what's up with water warlocks teach me how to teach me how to warlock okay um well they're like magic dudes do you want some help? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know why you're making me define everything. Fuck you. I wasn't ready for this. Warlocks are spellcasters, but they don't gain their powers through study, nor through just a natural connection to the weave of magic. They gain their magic basically by making deals with other world entities known as patrons. Thank you, Skitch. <laughs> I was trying to make you sound smart by setting you up to knock them down. <laughs> no. I'm like in a weird like NyQuil induced haze right now. So like So so NyQuil is your patron, right? Yeah, exactly. NyQuil Mancy. The NyQuil patron. Yeah, NyQuil Mancy. NyQuil sponsor me, please. <laughs> uh so Theodora made a deal with Oh god, can I I don't know if I can pronounce this. I tried to make you do it and I don't think you could do mm-hmm. it. It's a uh, Gaunadar? Is that how you say it? Gaunadar. That which lurks. He's a giant spooky eyeball. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so the th- the four gods you'll need to know to enjoy this program are the three that Roland mm-hmm. is a paladin of, the triad of Ilmater, Torm, and Tyr. You don't need to memorize that right now, but Ilmater yep. is the god of suffering, Torm is the god of duty, and Tyr is the god of justice. Yep. And the fourth one is Theodora's patron, Gonador, or that which lurks, the god of lurking? Basically. <laughs> He's just, like, a creepy, weird, evil guy. And, like, nobody likes him? Yeah, and he just, like, picks up randos and, like, sends them on evil missions, which is how you get caught up in this campaign. I was, like, accidentally drowning people in the swamp, because that's, like, the whole thing that Nixies do. And he was like, wow, you're so good at murdering. Surprise, I'm not good at murdering. It's just an accident. Yeah, that's that's one thing that we probably should clarify. Your Your alignment isn't evil. It's chaotic neutral, which means... You get into stuff not because you wish other people harm, but because you're just a hot mess. Exactly. People around you suffer, but it's not malicious. Yeah, like, I put in my ideals and shit. Like, I don't have a problem with violence. Like, I'm not gonna go out and just murder people just because. But I don't have problems resorting to violence if I need to. And you don't really believe in, like, fair play. Like you said, your background is trickster, which we made up, which essentially gives you advantages to prank people. Yes. Um, And that can be (laughs) 
of varying levels of lethality, potentially. We should speak on advantage real quick if this is your first time. That's just a, a rule, which means you get to roll twice and take the higher. And if you have disadvantage, you roll twice and take the lower. So it's just a, a quick and easy way to judge like how prepared you are to undertake a certain thing. Right. The main parts of your character, Nixie, Warlock, Trickster, and Chaotic Neutral. There is a fifth, though, that you have to mention. Which one? Are you familiar with Leonardo and Raphael? Oh, yes, Mr. Smooches! <laughs> okay, well, I originally wanted to have a familiar, but we changed that. So I have a pet, because I'm cool, and I get to have a pet. His name is Archibald J. Smooches, and he's a tiny snapping turtle, and I like to have him bite people. <laughs> It doesn't have, like, combat stats. It's just a thing you do. It's just a thing I do. And the picture I have for no. Dora in the Roll20 is actually just a picture you drew of her. Thanks for calling me out. It's good. Whatever. No. Blue hair and green scaly skin. And you wear a lot of purple with eyes on it. Yes, I have a very specific, like, look. Mm-hmm. Part of, because when I was, I was looking up uh, That Witch Lyrics, and he has, like, a thing about, like... Things looking the right way, I guess, because he's a giant eyeball and you want things to look nice if you're a giant eyeball. <laughs> you gotta deal with it. I Part of Dora's character is that she, like, knows how to sew and shit. So she has, like, a cloak that's embroidered with eyeballs because that's, like, his symbol. And my spellcasting, like, focus is, like, um an enamel brooch that holds my cloak together and it's shaped like an eyeball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Roland wields a wide variety of paladin weapons. You use your warlock magic powered by your brooch, and Bumbershoot, you have a, a sword cane? I have uh, a rapier that is inside of the cane. All right, sword cane. Should I go through my stats? Sure. Okay. S- surprise, strength of six. Oh. Because I'm tiny. I'm tiny. Yep. Dexterity, 12. Constitution and intelligence are both 10. Uh, wisdom is 12 and charisma is 16. Ooh. So I'm another smooth talker. Mm-hmm. It might seem strange if you're not familiar with D&D's uh, six stats. Charisma is the spellcasting modifier for warlocks uh, because really what you're doing is kind of uh, actualizing your will on the universe, which is a weird way to think of charisma in the way like people use it in everyday language. Yep. But you're just it's just like a, the force of your desire to channel the magic. So warlocks know the secret. it's more i mean it's more that one of the ways to induce magic is through effectively force of personality or force of sense of self and charisma is the best approximation of that in the system i like my explanation better but okay (laughs) dora also has a secret not so secret underground crab breeding operation (laughs) (laughs) what Yes, so I breed crabs in my bedroom and I sell them. Oh, okay. Believe it or not, we're going to get there almost immediately. (laughs) Great. All right, and the last character before we get into some setting stuff is... Me! (laughs) Oh, uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm playing... uh, Her name is Zoe Legrand, and she is a a, a sorcerer, particularly a wild sorcerer. If you don't know what wild sorcerers are, for those of you listening... A sorcerers essentially get their power via random kind of uh, magical things. Sometimes it's like bloodline, or sometimes it's like the power of the storm and things like that. Uh, wild magic, for all intents and purposes, is kind of just chaotic magic that exists, and you kind of lucked into having it as a power, and by using it, you can potentially cause more chaotic things to happen. It's some X-Men shit. It, it is. 
essentially the factors that can come out of casting magic as a wild sorcerer are unintended on behalf of the sorcerer themselves and can be beneficial or detrimental or, I guess, non-consequential to the sorcerer themselves. What that basically means is uh, every time I cast a spell as this character, there's a chance I may have to roll on a table that could screw everything up for everybody. So, uh, you know, I apologize in advance for that. And in the same way that Leon is playing a non-player character race and Lauren's playing a non-player character race and Skitch is playing a non-player character class, we are using wild magic, but I'm going to be using a non-official table, a.k.a. I'm going to get buck wild and wet and wild all up in your character, Chris. It was specified basically going into this that I don't know anything that's on this sheet either. Since the character wouldn't know, it makes more mm-hmm. sense that I, the player, don't know as well. So I only know like two or three possible things that can happen on this table. Otherwise, who knows? I mean, wild magic is possible in like the standard version to just cast fireball on yourself <laughs> just randomly. So I don't know what potentially could happen from this. But uh, uh the one thing that I do know that I suppose I should specify... Uh, that is possible in the sheet is that your character could be de-aged by using this this magic because that is the situation with Zoe. Uh, although she is uh, 19 herself, she physically appears to be only seven, and that's because she, uh, wild magic effect basically de-aged her to that point and doesn't seem to go away. It's sort of a a thing that she's just become accustomed to and kind of begrudgingly lives with. Uh, with this character, I kind of imagine her being like Charlie Brown. She just kind of keeps trying to chug through life, through all the stuff that keeps happening to her. The football gets pulled away, she'll fall on her face and be like, ugh, not again. Then she'll get up and and try to keep going. (laughs) On your character sheet, you have a slingshot, which is much more Dennis the Menace than Charlie Brown. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I have a slingshot. uh, You know, should all uh, arcane power not be enough, I'm going to just sling a rock into some fool's eyes and take him out that way. It's a dark and gritty Charlie Brown. (laughs) It's the dark and gritty reboot of the Peanuts movie. Did you so Zoe Z O E Y mm-hmm. is a half elf sorcerer with the background of I just called it kid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Once again, not in the book. Yeah, it's it's a custom one. Um, essentially, what it just gives her. Should I explain the benefit of it, or just yeah. keep that in case it comes? Okay, it basically, uh, whenever we're in like civilized environments, civilized uh, settlements. I can get away with doing shit because people don't want to blame a kid or get them in trouble. So I could just do things like commit minor crimes and, and be a brat essentially and get away with it. So I can like go in and not pay for food and just be like, that's my dad, make him pay for it and then leave. <laughs> and so what's your alignment if you're going to go around doing minor crimes? <laughs> now that's, that's what she can do. It's not necessarily uh-huh. what she is. She's, she's neutral good. She is, she's attempting to be a good person because she has, uh, Bold aspirations for becoming a bigger success in the world than her much more famous sister. Literally bigger? Uh, no, not literally bigger. <laughs> She's given up on that. Though she is going to be very excited to not be the shortest person in the party. Much like my real life, I am the shortest person. Wait a second. Theodora, the Nixie, the ageless Fay Nixie is shorter <laughs> than the child. <laughs> And the literal child. Yeah, I, I had to look it up online. I was like, how tall are seven-year-olds usually? And it said, like, about four foot three. It was an uncomfortable Google search to type, but yeah, it was like four foot three. <laughs> Show me pictures of kids. <laughs> Show me 11 seven-year-olds. Oh, no. Eject. <laughs> <laughs> 
so Daddy Hawklight is the biggest <laughs> in his big old armor, and then Bumbershoot, who is a, like a refined gentleman of normal stature, and then we have the physically seven-year-old Zoe, <laughs> and then the very little we have. How old is Theodora actually? Oh, because time works different in the Feywild. But from her perspective, how old is she? Yeah, I never really thought about that. Mm-hmm. She's old. She's pretty old. Okay, well, let's say she probably just doesn't care that much. Just yeah, like... I live in a swamp. Like, what, what the fuck do I care? How tall is Bumper Shoot, by the way? Uh, about six feet tall. Okay. He's, I mean, he's, like, not short, but he's, like, average, I guess. Is that average? That seems very tall to me. Six is pretty tall for human, yeah. Oh, okay. That's how tall, that's how tall, that's how tall I am. So, I, yeah, I just made him that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on self-insert OC, the swamp vampire. <laughs> <laughs> perfect all right so the oh i probably should mention zoe's uh character portrait in roll 20 is the obscure character nyx nyx from fire emblem fates who has essentially the same backstory very powerful older woman in child's body anything else that you guys want to talk about your character before we get into this thing should i run over my stats real quick you can run over your stats if you want to chris yeah, I should just mention, uh, I'm gonna go backwards, uh, with this. I'm gonna be unorthodox. <laughs> uh, so for charisma, I have an 18. I actually got a, a decent score there. Uh, then wisdom's a 12. Intelligence is a 9, which I'm kind of playing off that, uh, she has a mild form of dyslexia. And constitution 10, dexterity 13, and strength's a 5. I'm not lifting shit. Mm-hmm. I don't, if, if there's like something <laughs> to open or move, I'm, I'm screwed. Roland opens all the jars. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I should also note that my character does have a horse, by the way. Oh. Because as a paladin, he he has the Find Steed spell, which operates like Find Familiar. So you cast it, and then the horse is permanent until it dies, and then you have to summon it again. So his horse is a fairly conventional war horse named Trinity, for obvious reasons. And I will point out that the horse actually has a... Uh, does anyone here have an intelligence that's lower than six? No, I think I'm the closest with the nine. Okay, so this horse is smarter than Anne. That is the uh, important thing to note with an intelligence of six. Also, it's more perceptive than Roland and just as charismatic as Roland. So that's always fun. Must be a very beautiful horse. <laughs> uh, it, no, it's, it's charisma is seven. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, it's just, oh, it's just a normal horse. So it's a very, there's a very ugly horse. <laughs> Dang. No, it's not that it's ugly. It's that it's, it's. It's just shy. It's just shy. You, you know the charisma has absolutely nothing to do with the I know. I'm just right? playing. I'm just playing. There's multiple ways to interpret a number of stats. Uh, real quick, I looked it up. Gonadour is the god of abominations, I guess. Nice. So, like, a lot of, uh, like, gross and monstrous species, I guess, wor- worship it. Neat. I'm very interested to see the way it interacts with Dora throughout this campaign. Speaking of character conflict, I feel as though, Chris, you undersold zoe's relationship with the most important person in her life you want to hit that a little harder before we move on yeah 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 Uh, so to basically explain much of uh zoe's kind of ambition and why she's on this big adventure is that her older sister uh stella rosa magnificent is basically like a a prodigy of magic she's uh she took to magic like uh she's like the michael phelps of magic to put it in a very succinct way that I feel like nobody else is going to get since Lauren already admitted that. I know who Michael Phelps is. I'm not an idiot. I don't, I don't know. Obscure dolphin man, Michael Phelps. 
Uh, yeah. So her sister is like the most amazing like person, essentially, especially in regards to her family. So her family, I don't believe is particularly her parents are not specifically intentionally malicious to Zoe, but they are horrendously negligent to the point where they just forget about her. Often, I imagine there are quite a few days in her life that was essentially the plot of the Home Alone movies, except without the point where the parents wake up and realize, oh my god, we left our kid at home. They only realize it when they get home and they're like, oh, kid too, you're still here? Oh, sorry, I guess we forgot about you on this big trip. Yeah, so the older prodigy and the younger dyslexic wild sorcerer. <laughs> yeah, so uh, she she deeply desires to essentially escape her sister's shadow and uh, become... Uh, hot shit essentially <laughs> yeah and i'm sure we'll explore that a bit but so the idea is that your sister was naturally talented and very good at magic and made a name for herself and you were just kind of she tried she just could never get it as hard as she tried she just couldn't get it and then wild magic came along yeah and then one day you just got super powerful and for scaring people yeah and even though the, the magic is detrimental to herself it's the only method she has to potentially get past where her sister is so she kind of begrudgingly uses it no matter how dangerous it is mm -hmm. all righty then so all these character sheets will be available like i said on the patreon and also i'm gonna have a character list in the forums uh so you can probably just google dice funk and find them but they're the funky shack.boards.net um that's where that will be as well one more time everybody you just want to say your real name and then your character name because we're going to for the first couple episodes we're going to assume there are some new people okay uh leon bumpershoot fun victoria <laughs> <laughs> made that sound made that sound like one person what it sounds like all one name i'm michael scicciano and i'm playing roland Hawklight, the half-elf paladin i feel like it was pretty obvious what i what i was saying but okay leon's just so famous he just assumes everyone knows yeah and... yeah yeah damn it's like beyonce she wouldn't have to put her last name you know who it is yeah right i'm leon bumbershoot von victrola is my character Okay, which is, we're just going to assume no one's going to be able to spell until, like, the finale. Bumbershoot is like a regular word. Is it? <laughs> and so is, Vic so is Victrola. Regular? <laughs> yes, Bumbershoot is, is a word. I picked, like, words that people can easily spell. You can Google the word Bumbershoot if you're having trouble. I mean, I'm definitely Googling Bumbershoot. Don't get it twisted. You're an annual international music and arts festival held in Seattle, Washington? <laughs> <laughs> Do you genuinely not understand what I said, Austin? It's an umbrella, I guess. Yeah. It is? I didn't know that. Oh, okay. I thought you did. No, his, it's it's a fancier uh, English word for umbrella. That is why his name is that. We've learned something today. If I fancy you mean archaic. Yeah. yeah <laughs> yes. That is, that is, that's, that's the way I like it. All right. <laughs> Two more people. I'm Lauren Morgan, and I'm playing Theodore the Nixie. No last name. No, 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 she lives in a swamp. Or she did live in a swamp. <laughs> it's like Game of Thrones. Her last name is Muck. <laughs> yeah, right? Fuck. Uh, I'm Chris Rolotilarius. I'm playing Zoe Legrand. Legrand? Legrande? Legrand. Like it, love it, gotta have it. Um, That's not going to play to anyone who doesn't know about regional ice cream sizes. <laughs> this is a disaster. I thought it was a McDonald's reference. <laughs> I, I, got, I got it amazing all right <laughs> so how do these four idiots get together to have cool dungeons and dragons swords adventures good question me <laughs> so the short answer is they're all bounty hunters and they run a bounty hunting company together longer answer is 
there's a cursed city in this world where all of these people find themselves. And the city is cursed so that once you enter, you can never leave. And there are a number of effects that has on a population, which we will no doubt explore. But in the short term, what you need to know is that there is no police. There is no government. There is only what you can barter for. And when you are as powerful as the player characters are, your services are valuable. And so all of you have turned to this line of work to do good as long as it is lucrative. Is that really the right word? Yeah, we'll talk about money. But before we jump right into the actual role playing, there is the issue of what your guys' bounty hunting company is called. Because before we started, all I told you guys about the setting of this season is you're in a cursed city, you can't leave, you're bounty hunters. What is your bounty hunting company called? And here's the part where we just say names. <laughs> I got a list here for you. So I am rigid with anticipation. Yikes. <laughs> okay, uh, Leo, do you want to start with this? Uh, I was hoping for the Squee Masons. Hmm. <laughs> I'll counter that with Splash, Slash, and Fangs, serving justice 24-7. Mm. I got the slogan in there and everything. I like Dumanati. <laughs> Do you think Masonic orders are bounty hunters? Leon? They're fun. Ours is fun. Ours is fun that way. I I, I like. Uh, we're actually the good guys, Incorporated. <laughs> also, just ignore the bite marks, investigators. <laughs> I like that one. Is that like fucking pizza delivery company? <laughs> <laughs> if your pizza comes with bite marks, you have some problems. The the long arm of martial enforcement, also known as the lame, or the last actionable weapons, known as the law respectively. Uh, smooches for sale were actually bounty hunters. Oh, that was my favorite. <laughs> the Nyquil of Narrative Wells uh, is what I just came up with while we were talking. Uh, discreet Street Sweepers. Oh, Christ. Ilium's Hell Overture is another one I have in there. That's only funny if you realize the name of the town is Ilium, which it is. Yeah. And one of my serious names is the Eternal Shield. That's like a real one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's like one someone would say if they were taking this seriously. Yeah, that's why I have that as my separate list there. My, like, serious name, the one that uh, would actually not be, like, stupid, like the douchey werewolves or something, uh, <laughs> is is the Avant Guards. I like that one. Oh, that's good. It's mm, pretty good. Yeah. That, that's actually good, yeah. That is that is the one serious one I picked. The others are just things like Funkasaurus, but we don't have to do all that. I also like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I have the Intrepid Investigators of Ilium as another semi-serious one, and then... The scales of Ilium. I notice a distinct lack of Lauren and Chris. Is that because you guys did not prepare or because... You oh, I didn't prepare. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to let them get out their names because when I give you this first name, oh. you're all going to agree it's the name we're going to go with because it's the best name. Okay. <laughs> you, you built this up pretty hard. Yeah, I wanted you guys to be able to get yours because I didn't want your, your work to go to waste. So oh, thank you. once you hear this, you're going to know immediately. So the, the name of our, our bounty hunting group is going to be... The New York football giants. <laughs> Pretty good. I, I like that. Now, we could just call ourselves the New York Giants. Like, there's not another group in Ilium by the same name. But I think putting the football in there adds a little bit more kind of formality and, like, a regal nature to the name. And your guys' secretary, Eli Manning, is just the most incompetent <sighs> boob. But he look, he's, he tries so hard. He's, he's such a good boy. Are these all sports words? They are, Leon! <laughs> okay. 
Now, if you don't like that, I have other suggestions here. Are they also sports words? No, no, they're not all sports words. Oh, good. Uh, so I, I was also going to suggest the Straw Hat Pirates. Oh, my God. Be good. All right. How about the Stardust Crusaders? Austin, you, you know what that's talking about. I mean... Yes. It's it's good. It's just what does that mean in setting? And what did it mean what did it mean in JoJo? It didn't mean anything. <laughs> it's you can't just be like, no, Zoe's a huge weeaboo. <laughs> well, yes, she is now. What about the one you were talking about earlier? Well, that one's on here too. We could call ourselves the Golden Girls. And I will personally sing the Golden Girls theme song at the beginning of every episode. See, that has the, like a great side effect to that. <laughs> and and we all have to decide which Golden Girl we most represent as well. Blanche. I'm feeling a lot like Dorothy. I feel Zoe and Dorothy kind of very well connect with one another. Can Leon be Sophia? Absolutely. I can't think of who else would. Who else is that sassy? <laughs> we killed Austin. By the way, I have, I have like, I have a full list of names here. I'm just going to read these off and you guys can all decide which ones are your favorite after the fact. We can just do this for the rest of the episode. Really. Yeah, this will be the whole episode. There's not actually going to be any role playing. Uh, the Four Funks Kateers. Georgia O'Queef and her loquacious friends. Now, the unique thing about this one, we haven't decided who Georgia O'Queef is. Anybody can still take on that role, and then the rest of us will be the loquacious friends. All right. Yep, me, I call it. Brumbleshoot is Georgia O'Queef, and then we're then the loquacious friends. Uh, the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Now, this is where we're bounty hunters, but we also have a barbecue restaurant on the side. <laughs> You're just giving me responsibilities now. I don't know. Also, that presumes a world where Christianity exists for that reference to make sense. <laughs> No, everybody get it. It's one of those, like, uh, transcendental things. Uh, the quirky Dunderfronts experience. <laughs> the number seven combo, hold the mustard. <laughs> the just dizzle my nizzle league. These are, these aren't even jokes anymore. This is a mad lib. <laughs> Doctors with borders. <laughs> huh? Do what now? Shucky ducky quack quack. The gangstinators. Okay, that's... That's a Wu-Tang Clan generator name. Don't front. Here I am, Rocky like a John McCain. <laughs> the Fangsylvania Department of Commerce and Development. Four calling birds, three French hens, two turtle doves, and a partridge in a pear tree. Puerto Rico. Oh, I like that one. This name is actually just a Garfield strip. It begins, John Arbuckle. Do these glasses make me look smarter? Now, for context, John Arbuckle, Garfield's owner, is wearing these ridiculously large glasses that accentuate his already dorky appearance. And you know what? Stepping back for a moment, Garfield is the titular cat for the comic. He's this orange tabby cat that's rather corpulent, and we, the readers, are able to read his sarcastic musings. Uh, it's not entirely clear if John Arbuckle was able to understand it. Sometimes he reacts to it, and other times he seems unfazed by uh, Garfield's cutting barbs. So this is Chris Larius's type five. He's workshopping it with us. <laughs> I'm just, yeah, I, I haven't gotten the light yet, so I'm just going to keep going here. No. <laughs> Someone cane this man off. He's taking over the chuckle hut. <laughs> I, I, I've already given up all my, my, uh, my options. You're the boss here. I, I, I should take responsibility for this mess. Yeah. So does anybody have a favorite that jumps out at them? I like the one that had smooches in it. Cause then Mr. Smooches could be the logo. That was mine. Smooches for sale, and in parentheticals, we're actually bounty hunters. <laughs> that's the uh, that's the actual full title written like written like that. <laughs> that's a lot. Uh, so I like avant guards was good. Yeah, that's I, I I'm voting for mine. <laughs> that was good. I, I should note I actually have real names then to provide as well. Okay. Okay. Can we trust you now though? Yeah, absolutely. Why can't you? <laughs> I mean, the last five minutes, but yeah, go on. <laughs> 
So I didn't know what, like, the place was going to be, but I just had, came up with the name The Grey Street Guardians. If we lived on Grey Street, it would make sense. If not, it'd be very weird, but it still sounded catchy. Mm-hmm. I apologize if this is a political trigger warning, but bad hombres, I thought oh my was God. kind of funny as like a legitimate name. <laughs> I was like, we're the bad hombres. <laughs> well, I mean, the first season was about immigrants and the second was about global warming. So <laughs> so it's the next direction to go in is what you're saying. Mm. Oops. Uh, Stone Edge figure it's a city with a lot of stones also we can nickname ourselves tm71 as a really dope pokemon reference i was yeah i was wondering which one of us would go there first <laughs> uh the new age outlaws i mean it's a wrestling team but i thought it kind of works <laughs> as like a real name as well <laughs> i get to be badass billy gun if we go with that one that's that's fine i'll be uh i'll be road dog okay does that make me vince mcmahon you're not part of the New Age Outlaws. You, you're part of... Never mind, I'm sorry. I'm getting into... Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I guess... So, I think the Grey Street... Is it the Grey Street Guards, right? The Grey Street Guardians. Guardians, okay. That Either that one, the Eternal Shield, or what was, what was the good one from you, Leon? Avant-Garde's? The, the one good one was the Avant-Garde's. I really like that one. Yeah, that one works. Because we're all wacky. Although it does presuppose a world in which the French language exists. My last name's Legrand. This is why you should have gone with Vicomte instead of Viscount. This also presupposes that English exists, so. Well, the, listen. I know, we're, we're all speaking common, but come mm-hmm. on. Yeah. That's what we call uh, a conceit. <laughs> Ooh. I've decided France exists. There, done. It's canon. Jesus. You have to call it, like, the Fre- the French Magisterium or something. you got to really fantasy it up. That's fine. So, by the end of the episode, we should probably lock it in, but do you want to proceed under the idea that you guys are the avant-garde's for now? And then someone could come in at the last second and flip the table? Yeah. We could. We could. Uh, we could also dangerously put it out to a, an audience vote. No, because then the guys' company would be called Boners, Boners, Boners. Boners are us. <laughs> it really would. It would be called Boners, Boners, and Avocados. It wouldn't be good. We, we take the serious names and then make a poll based on the serious names. I, I would agree to this only if the New York Giants is on that list as a serious name. Oh, my God. Nope. nope, nope, nope. <laughs> All right. The problem with that is the New York part. The other part, actually not a problem. <laughs> no, the New York part makes the most sense. All right. So we should probably do something to establish that this is a fantasy role-playing podcast in which you guys will have high adventures of magic and mystery. Do you want to do that? I guess. Oh, I guess. <laughs> I mean, we're here. It'd be nice for a change. <laughs> I'm not sure the enthusiasm level in this are <laughs> ideal. I, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. It's just, you know, I, I laughed so much that a lot of my energy was taken up. But I'm, I'm back. I'm ready. Yeah, my face is a little sore from the laughing and the giggling and such. I thought this was just a fictional, a fictional name-generating podcast, so I didn't actually prepare to play uh, D&D at all. <laughs> Good, because uh, the season opens with Zoe Legrand, the youngest daughter of the newly famous Legrand family, walking through a overgrown field. The area that this campaign takes place in is a pretty rural area. Think moors of of scotland you think like the heaths of the british nobility lots of uh rolling landscapes and hills and uh, all kinds of beautiful floral situations going on i think the region is probably known for i'm trying to think of like what's the coolest flower you guys can think of tulip that's that's it i like those um what i can't remember what they're called those those the white 
moon lilies. They bloom at night. That's nice. So you're walking through a field of just ethereal, magical flowers, and there's nobody else around for miles. You're just this lone seven-year-old looking half-elf child walking through this field, and the camera follows you as you make your way th- across this this landscape. And as it pulls back in the distance, you can see a column of light on the horizon. And as you get closer, it becomes clearer what it is. It is the border of the town of Ilium, where this campaign will take place. The light is almost like an aurora borealis. Are you guys all familiar with what that looks like? Mm-hmm. And it, it marks literally like a column that goes around the border of the entire town and straight up into the sky farther than you can see. So this is this place is not a secret. Everyone knows about Ilium, and everyone has their own theories about why it is the way it is and what's inside. Because once people go in, they do not come back out. No one ever has. And many people go there for their own reasons, sometimes to try to figure out the mystery of this, why the town is the way it is, sometimes to try to seek a treasure or a powerful magic or as part of some religious quest. Uh, some people go to Ilium to get away from their troubles. Maybe they're fugitives or exiles or maybe they just want to be left alone. <laughs> maybe they have debts or some kind of bad family situation. There are any number of reasons people can end up here. But Zoe isn't thinking about any of that because she's looking up at this border, this almost rainbow border, and trying to peer through it to see what she can see on the other side. And all she can see is the black silhouettes of a figure here and there walking around. Um, but she cannot make out any specific features of anybody through the magical barrier. And that's where she starts, standing outside of this Northern Lights-esque magical barrier with her little bindle, just right riding the, the old-timey rails. Uh, now, this is the point where a smarter character would try to deduce things while they have this opportunity yeah. as to still being on the outside to, to conduct rigorous experiments to see what basically can and cannot pass through this barrier between the two. Yep. Zoe doesn't think like that, so she's just right through the right through the barrier. Just boom, <laughs> full immersion right through. Hey everybody, I have a nine intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, what's up everybody? I'm an anime. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an anime? Yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> I felt like the context kind of explained itself on that. Okay. Uh, you just walk right through and you don't feel anything. There's not like a, any sensation or any kind of resistance. You just step right through as if it was just light. And w- as soon as you do, everything that was silhouettes from the outside becomes crystal clear. You see uh, a very sparsely populated rural village, like a, char- a charming British hamlet with uh, very distantly spaced buildings and people milling around, minding their own business. Uh, nothing particularly exciting going on right now, uh, except for the fact that to you, everybody here looks incredibly strange. Like, regular people don't come to Ilium. Criminals, mad sorcerers, the last of rare and dangerous races, those are the kind of people who end up here. So you step through and you're like, now I've I've suddenly seen a giant for the first time. <laughs> just someone who just steps over houses. Like, they're Lego bricks. Like, it's no big thing. I don't know how you react to this with your nine intelligence, but... With wonder and awe. I mean, this is this is, this is is beyond words, you'd like to think. I, I imagine 
she then is going to try to turn around and see if she can go back out. Yeah, that is a, that's something that you would naturally do. And just as when you're on the outside, everything on the inside looked like silhouettes without definition or features, now the outside world looks like that to you. She is going to try to basically like go back through as though it's possible, just to see. Zoe reaches out a hand, and when she presses it to the the wall of light, she feels a absolutely solid and immovable surface, just like a wall of steel that does not budge or even really acknowledge her attempts to push through it. And it doesn't change form. You don't see anything visually change about it. But it's as if the wall of light is now 10,000 feet of solid concrete, even though it is a micron of light thick. I guess this place lives up to the the rumors. And now you have your little bindle, and uh, people uh, in the town are starting to notice that they have a new uh, visitor. The population of Ilium is about 50 or so, um, and for every 10 people who show up, usually one person lasts a week because everyone here is incredibly dangerous and ambitious and is on some kind of very personal quest. So the appearance of a child is, of course, something of a concerning matter. All right. So I want to, uh, Zoe's going to walk up to essentially the first person she can see Mm -hmm. and be like, Hey, can I, uh, can I get a minute from you? (laughs) I'm sorry. What accent was that? (laughs) You came a little New York for a moment. I didn't intend it. Please do that for the whole thing. (laughs) It was so good. I don't know if I can. (laughs) Now, I think this would be a good time for this to, to be another player character. If someone wants to be the first to run into Zoe. Um, Zoe approaches a man who is wearing somewhat dirty, somewhat rusted scale armor. The the man is eff- effectively towers over her as he's almost what six foot four, six foot five inches tall. He turns around to look to the uh, the short child and question to you: Do I recognize her immediately or not? So on the podcast, we have not established that any of you characters know each other, mm-hmm. but I know because Skitch mentioned it to me that. Uh, Roland and Zoe would have ran into each other once in their backstory. Mm-hmm. So it's up to you guys how you want to play it. I'm just going to do a quick uh, intelligence roll. Ooh, first roll. Uh, should I do intelligence or investigation, Austin? Uh, I don't think you're really investigating so much unless you want to like rifle through her bindle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I rolled a 21 for intelligence. So smart. So the the, the, the tiny half-elf child with the the slingshot in her back pocket, like a 50s cartoon character, yeah. uh, definitely jogs something in your memory. Uh, Roland like, looks down at her, takes a moment, and, and then he says, what are you doing here? I came into the city. I feel like that was kind of obvious. <laughs> that is obvious, but why did you come here, Zoe? Whoa, why do you know my name, old man? <laughs> I figured that's what you would call me. It's not safe to be out here. Here, come along with me. He just offers a hand out to her. She's like, uh, what? what's <laughs> going on? Stranger danger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Roland sighs a bit and goes down to one knee so that his face is a little bit easier to see for Zoe. Listen, if you don't remember who I am, that's neither here nor there. But it's not safe to just be wandering around outside here, looking the way that you do. People are aggressive around here when it comes to preying on those that are not prepared as you say that you notice you guys are starting to get looks and people are starting to come out 
doors to kind of uh, rubberneck on this, including some people that Roland knows are dangerous. Uh, there's kind of a local uh, crime concern, I almost I would say organized crime, but it's like half a dozen people. So it's more of a gang, a small gang. It just so happens that all of them are fiends, which are evil magic outsider creatures. Okay. <laughs> Roland just sort of says, Zoe, we, we should be moving from here. Please just come along for now. Are you like gra- going to grab her hand then? He's going to offer his hand to her. He's not going to grab her hand. She's going to uh, say, all right, I'll trust you, but I'm not holding your hand. That's weird. And she'll follow along after you instead. You're not my dad! <laughs> In either case, my name is Roland, to remind you, not old man. Then Roland just sort of stands up and leads Zoe along, keeping an eye on anyone who might be spying on them as they move, as he takes her back to, well, uh, the base of operations, as it were. I, I like, in my mind, I like to imagine that after you, like, turn to start leading her away, she, like, does one of those, like, childlike uh, mimicking you, the last words you said, with, like, a stupid face on hers, like, Man, my name's Roland, if you don't matter. <laughs> <laughs> I like, we're establishing her as a little bit of a, a, a bit of a shit, huh? <laughs> <laughs> little, little bratty, but yeah. Austin, I have a, I have a question. Um, in Ilium, uh, is it day or night right now? Ooh, that's an amazing question, and we will get there in, I promise, just a sec. Okay. So Roland takes Zoe, uh, not by the hand, but takes custody of her, as it were, and starts to lead her through Ilium, which is Mm I-L-I-U-M. Let me write that down. And he makes a mental note of the Gawkers with his, I believe, plus four passive intelligence. Mm -hmm. So if at any time you want to, like, reflect back on the people who saw this, you can. Um, and there are some notable faces who are out here witnessing this, but you're leading her to your guys' office, the building that you pawned your armor mm-hmm. to establish. Now, I say pawn, <laughs> that's kind of shorthand because uh, money, as conventionally used, is not really a factor in Ilium. Gold doesn't have any sway. Instead, uh, Ilium works on a barter system. So usually it's something you can make or something you can do is what determines your value. And for Roland, when he showed up and he wanted somewhere to live, it wasn't as if there was a real estate market he could buy into. So instead, he went to the local crime concern, the gang, as it were, and he traded mm-hmm. the, He traded the armor of the triad, his gods. Basically, it was a gift from his home chapel that was granted to him before he set off on his personal journey. But it's not as if he just gave it to a pawn shop and they gave him money. What he got was a favor, and so they called in a favor from someone else who owed them. And in this case, it was a giant who constructed your guys' base from stone (laughs) from the earth. So what Roland needs to pay back is a favor or some kind of equipment or some kind of item of equivalent value, which is something that we'll, we'll, we'll explore as the season goes on. But in the distance, Roland and Zoe see that building, which I guess has a sign outside which says Avant-Garde Bounty Hunting Services, unless anybody objects. How do you guys want to spell that? Here, it's like, it's, I, I mine is a pun, so it's Avant and then Guards. G-U-A-R-D-S? Yes, that was the joke. Yeah, I just want to make sure that's how it's spelled. Okay. All right, is there like a symbol? Do you guys have a logo? Oh, um, 
I hadn't thought about that part. I only have names. <laughs> it should be my turtle. <laughs> yes, tur- yep, yep, uh, uh, yep, yep, please. Yeah, turtle. Okay. It's a turtle. It's a turtle. I was going to say a turtle on a shield. Yes. That's fine. Yeah. Nice. Uh, and that is a two-story white stone building. But as you um, approach the building, Zoe, you hear a ruckus from the second floor. Is everything going on all right in there? Oh, it's fine enough. It's probably just the others having a discussion of sorts, or <laughs> I'm not even sure what it is anymore. Sometimes. <laughs> Roland, you definitely know the ruckus is coming from Dora's room. Yes. Oh, my. <laughs> so you guys uh, walk in the front door into avant-garde headquarters, and on the reception desk is an enormous pile of papers and books and forms and charts and calendars it's like half desk and then half paperwork and to the point where if there's somebody sitting at the desk you cannot see them is someone sitting behind the desk i don't think leon is sitting behind the desk probably not <laughs> nope roland you do know that you guys have a secretary a non-player <laughs> character okay okay just want to make sure <laughs> it's your eyes janine if you guys are the ghostbusters right but your secretary's name is winifred mm. or winnie or Winnie, or Win. You guys call him all kinds of names. What about Fred? If you want to. He doesn't mind. Roland just sort of says, Winifred, are you there? Yeah, I'm just looking at the forms. I have someone to introduce you to. From behind the stack of papers floats up a, what appears to Zoe, to be a jellyfish. Yes. Yes. What is in fact a flumph, a lawful good psychic creature about the size and shape of a jellyfish but not at all dangerous they don't sting they don't fight they feed on psychic energy and vibes and they're just like cool nice mind readers and this one is a very effective but messy secretary for avant-garde oh they're so cute (laughs) and he floats up over the papers and looks down and says hello i'm winifred uh zoe's just gonna be like like, her eyes are enormous right now, as she has no idea really what she's looking at. And she's going to be like, Zoe. <laughs> uh, Winifred was blue when he popped up over the papers. And when he senses your not immediate jubilation at his <laughs> his presence, uh, his blueness fades a little bit. Oh, he's a mood ring. He's exact. That's 100% what he is. Yeah. He's a psychic mood ring. Um, and he says, Hi. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm, what, what are you? I'm a flump. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. What are you? I'm a Zoe. Cool. Oh, listen, like she's going to be like looking towards Roland like, what, what am I supposed to do? Just talk to him. He's not dangerous at all. I'm not dangerous, but I'm very busy. <laughs> Speaking of which, um, are the others still, are the others here? As you say that, you hear a crash from upstairs. I'll take that as a yes. He goes, yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's, uh, some kind of crab thing. Right. It's crab day. Crab thing? Right. (laughs) Roland will just glance at Zoe and say, it's not going to make more sense (laughs) until it makes less sense at first. <laughs> uh Winifred floats back down behind the papers and you see there's also an orb on the desk behind some of them. It's kind of like um like a fortune telling ball almost, like a purple glass orb in a little stand. 
And he, as he sits there with some of his tentacles, he's writing stuff in, he's filling out forms and receipts. And with the other, he just lays them on the orb, which glows a little bit. And that's what he does. Nice to meet you, Winifred. I would say, I like to think some of the paperwork is like crab order forms. <laughs> He's, it is crab day after all. And you see there's a banner behind him, which says happy crab day, which is written in Dora's handwriting. Definitely. Roland just says, okay. <laughs> I, I think it's time to introduce you to the others, Zoe, before we, uh, before I explain a bit more about what this place is. Are they all like him? <laughs> no, no. It's just all jellyfish in here. <laughs> No, but I'm the only other half-elf around here, so come along. <laughs> he just sort of almost instructs as he sort of heads up the stairs to the uh, the chambers of the other members of the hunting company. On the second floor is a long hallway which uh, with doors for all of the different party members that have their personal bedrooms. Roland's door is probably open, and you see his bedroom is basically half-bedroom, half-armory. He has a, a number of different weapons and training material. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a door without any markings on it which is an empty room and then there's two more one which has theodora's stuff on it and one which has bumper shoots you guys how i don't know i don't want to tell you how you decorated your own doors but mm-hmm. feel free to chime in how you would do so i'm gonna say it's black <laughs> and there there is a handle on it that is a very scary fangy face <laughs> okay you've installed like a medieval knocker amazing yeah i feel like that makes sense I mean, I, I didn't think I didn't think I was going to be designing this. So on the spot, that is absolutely what it looks like. Okay, mine has my name on it, and then underneath it says, "Get your crabs here." <laughs> cool. Okay. In Bumbershoot's room, can is he able to hear uh, all the commotion going on in the crab room? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Oh, of course. Okay. Bumbershoot comes out and just sort of makes a beeline for um, the the crab room, <laughs> Theodora's room. As Bumbershoot leaves his room, what do they see inside yours? What is your room decorated like? Oh, in mine? Oh, um, gosh. I'm gonna say, like, astrolabes and, um, telescopes and very, very old maps and things you, you would think you would find in, like, very fancy vampire's room. Also skulls. I'm gonna say there are also skulls there. <laughs> so no posters for like Pop Roach or other. <laughs> say, is there bands. a lot of black and like red? Um, hmm, gosh. No, I'm gonna say it's just the stone walls that, and they're they're white. It's Hammer Horror rather than <laughs> Twilight. Yes, yes, that makes about more sense. I'm into it. So there you go. Yeah. And scene. <laughs> All right. Um, he's trying to like get into Theodore's room. Don't have to try because I'm coming out. Okay. All right. Well, that that works too. So Dora busts out the door. Buckets or crabs in hand. Hey guys, what's going on? It's crab day! What are you doing in there, you busy little sausage? <laughs> oh yes. Oh yes. Get used to it. We're gonna have a lot of fun with this. No! <laughs> oh, come on, Bumbles, you know it's crab day! And Dora's gonna throw a crab at him. Oh. Just disgusting. That one's on the house. How dare you? <laughs> and then he then he leaves. He's done. If I can if I can have the two of your attention for a moment. What? <laughs> Sorry. We have a newcomer to the town here, as Roland motions to Zoe. Oh hey, you're short too. Oh, is it snack time already? <laughs> no, it's not. 
<laughs> you don't want to. You don't want to know what I'll do to you if you lay a hand on her. Oh, <laughs> Bumbershoot sort of like pulls at his um collar, like in that very Simpsons kind of way. Dora hands her a crab. <laughs> hey, this one's on the house. I'm Dora. If you ever need crabs, you can come here. <laughs> Thank you. I'm Zoe. And Zoe's gonna like pull on. Roland's shirt, I guess, like to kind of like tug him down so she could whisper something to him. Mm -hmm. And she's going to be like, so do you guys run some kind of like gimmick restaurant or something? (laughs) The crab pinches you, Zoe. (laughs) Ow! Oh yeah, you can't let him do that. (laughs) Bumbershoot laughs. (laughs) Wait, these are live crabs? Why? Well, because they're good for friends or food. Think about it. If you're lonely, you can have a crab for a pet. If you're hungry, you can eat them. I really am a genius entrepreneur. I can think of no reason, like, no rebuttal to that. See, I gotcha. I think it would be prudent for us to have a small meeting about this situation right here, in either case. Uh, all right, all right, all right. Let me get these buckets down to Freddy and we'll talk, we'll talk non-crowd business. Right. All right, uh, there is an exit to the roof, which... May not be the first thing you think of as a meeting place, but given the geography, it would allow you to see basically all of Ilium because of the slopes and so forth. Uh, you guys' base is not the t- the highest point, but it's high enough that you can look around and see all of the important stuff. So if you guys want to have your meeting there, uh, Zoe can see all the all the stuff. Yeah, I think Roland would would suggest going to the roof. So Dora drops some crabs off with the bewildered secretary. <laughs> As you guys uh, convene on the roof of your two-story building and look out over the rolling hills of Ilium, Mm -hmm. you see the kind of what looks on the outside to be kind of a charming, quaint little village, but which has notable features like giants walking around and gaggles of devils and other fiendish creatures which could obliterate you with a wave of their hand and all kinds of other very powerful, pretty scary-looking creatures, some of which you know are perfectly harmless and some which you know are not but before any of that is explained to zoe there's one thing which catches her eye above all the others which is an enormous tower in the center of ilium almost like a lighthouse it's very narrow so there's only about one room for each floor of this tall structure it is pure white and on top is an orb a perfectly circular magical orb which radiates magical light from one half and magical darkness from the other. And it slowly rotates to give Ilium its day-night cycle. And, per Bumbershoot's request, Hmm. the magical light is not UV. And so he is not incinerated every day. (laughs) Uh, There was a period after you showed up when you were on parasol patrol pretty vigilantly. But you filed the papers, and you got that taken care of. And as you look across the city, there are quite many things that need to be explained. But that will have to wait, because as you guys are looking over this landscape, Winifred floats up, and he has a dossier, which he hands to Roland Hawklight, your informal leader, and you guys have a job. So you guys aren't a restaurant?
music, including Acoustic Jam at the Lucifer Alpha, an arrangement of Biohazard from Snatcher, and Simply Be Grooved, an arrangement of Simple and Clean from Kingdom Hearts. Executive producers for March 2017 are Kirsten Haslinger, Accelerus, Joseph Timbrello, Andrew Grothin, Jade, The Cult of Gorfanax, Irving Royale, Finch DeJong, Arjun de Koning, Tarka, Luke Powers, Michael Goodell, Brent, Josh Mosier, Indigo Van Dane, James Bevan, Allison Ansel, Sidney Marzang, Justa Jester, John Potts, Kevin Dobbins, Savarden Akrisimova, Carl, Brady Warner, Kitty Foe, James Neely, Eugene T, Marissa Donaldson, Melanie Joe, Lana Seawolf, Toby Gleason Stack, Ruby Offer, Matthew Weber, Sarah Hanley, Melissa Booker, Cameron Abbas, Dylan, Gary Sayon, Anna Stuhlfarr, Sean, the host of Funk Dunk, Giorgio Renna, Harrison Andrew, Kevin Silo, Christopher Charlotte, Jorit, Viger Arnston, Cody Jackson, August Rue, Athos, Ingemar Gremmen, and Paul Mullen. If you'd like to join this list, you can support the show directly at patreon.com slash and you can support Leon directly at patreon.com slash renegadecut, and you can find Chris at patreon.com slash recap. If you'd like to help indirectly, you can always find us on Google Play, Podbean, YouTube, or iTunes, and like, review, comment, or rate us there.